you listen to God's word. Romans chapter 7 says, in relation to the law, God's commandments, he says, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction and and the life that we learn to live, the life that you have purchased for us by dying on the cross for our sins. What a blessing it is to read and to learn to understand your word. May your message this morning help us to understand more fully what you've done for us through the gospel, through our life that we now live with you. May you bless your word. Help us. Lord, thank you for the spirit that helps us to understand these words. And so help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we continue our trek and our our jog or walk, our slow saunter through Romans, um, I'm not as, I was talking to a couple this morning, I'm not as slow as some, and I'm definitely not as fast as others, but uh, I know, uh, I, re- I read Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he did his over 20 years, and never finished Romans, let's just put it that way, uh, and uh, there are others, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he goes, oh yeah, I taught through the book of Romans, I said, oh yeah, how long did it take you, and he goes, oh, I finished it this year, and I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> There is so much there. Um, So right now we're on a pace for three and a quarter years in Romans. So maybe four years or five. I don't know. We'll see. uh, We'll just keep kind of walking through slowly. And uh, I love all the chatter. I love all the talk. Um, It's been fun to talk to many of you as we go through Romans, as we, we learn about our salvation, our walk with God, our union with Christ. And what does that mean now? Uh, Romans chapter 6, we've been looking at this theme of we have these two realities. We have 
uh, our old life in sin, and we have this new life with Christ. We talk about being in Christ, united with Christ, and, and how that really affects our new life. And so we've been talking about our new life in Christ. It's, it's empowered. It's, it's now in a new kingdom. We have new desires, new people to follow. Um, the problem is, is sin. Sin is calling us back and drawing us back into the old life. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, that's really the theme. Paul uses in the word sin and talking about being mastered or controlled or lord over by sin 17 times in just six, uh, chapter 6 alone. So as we look at our new life, he says, now this is what our new life looks in relation to the old master and sin. So that's what 6 was all about. Now we're entering into chapter 7. As we, we peek in, into chapter 7, he's given us a new theme, and the theme is the law. So now what do we do with the law? The law is referring back into the Old Testament. You look at Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. You look at Numbers. Um, there's a lot of law giving. God says, these are my laws, and this is what I want you to do. Um, many of, uh, and if you think about uh, the Jews and the Israelites, when they heard the law, they considered the first five books of the Old Testament was called the law. And so when we think about the law, there's, there's several different aspects of the law. As you'll realize quickly as we go through chapter 7, if you read chapter 7 over the next few months, you're going to realize he mentions and refers to the law over 32 times. So the law is, is the major theme. And that's the thing is that how do we respond to the Old Testament law? How do we respond to the law in general? And, and some of you ask that question every day when you drive, right? How do we respond to the speed limit? Um, and that's a good question. Some need to ask more than others. But uh, I like the gas mileage I get for going under the speed limit. It's, it does my truck a lot better. <laughs> some of you don't have that problem. <laughs> but that's what Paul is getting at here is, is how do we respond and how does our relationship with Christ change how we respond to the law? That's what we want to want to look at this morning in the first six verses. Now, all of chapter seven will be dealing with that subject. It's interesting as we look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-six. He says, "The sting of death is sin." Uh, death it has a sting because of sin, because of that old life. And he says, and the power of sin is in the law. The law produces a power, powerful aspect in sin. Law, there's a problem with the law, and we're going to be talking about that. So there are several parallels in chapter 6 and chapter 7 between sin and the law. So look at some of these parallels in we look at verse 2 of chapter 6. It tells us that believers, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, it says believers had died to sin in verse 2. Now in 7 verse 4 that we just read, it says they have died to the law. So not only have we died to sin, but we've died to the effects of the law. Now you look in chapter 6 again, it says we have been freed from sin. That's great. 
We've been unchained. Sin no longer has power over us. It's confining us. And also, we see here that also we have been released from the law. And it goes on in verse 6, it says that we've been released. Not only that, but we walk in the newness of life in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, it says, and we serve in the newness of the spirit. There's direct correlation to all of, all of the sin and law. Also, it says victory over sin is tied to our union with Christ and his death and his resurrection. That's Romans chapter 6. And then in Romans 7, it says our release from the law and its sin-arousing power is because you now are joined to the crucified and risen Lord. It's interesting. We see these direct correlations from sin to law. So Paul wants us to understand, well, now what do we do with our life as we grow closer to the Lord? What is our response to the law? To understand that, you need to understand that there are three parts to the law. Did you know if you look in the Old Testament, there are three parts. The context always tells us what we're dealing with. There's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. The moral law is how to live a godly life or how to pursue personal holiness. If we think about this, we see it directly in the Ten Commandments, but also you can look at it, it expresses God's character. The moral law is all about who God is, and he wants us to grow in and follow his character. That's the moral law. So if you think about the law, the first aspect is that, the moral law. Then you have the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was the law that God gave Israel and said, here, you have to have priests, you have to have sacrifice, you have to do all these things ceremonially to be declared sinless or to be declared pure in the eyes of God. In order to take care of your sin, you had to follow all of these sacrificial system. Uh, we talk about, we hear about the Day of Atonement and the scapegoats and, and the lamb that was slaughtered for the sin of the people. We talk about Passover. All these ceremonial things that God gave them was so that way they would be able to be in the presence of God. Here's the thing, though. The ceremonial law was fulfilled in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the whole ceremony. The ceremony in Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 6, I'm kind of working my way back in my brain, all declare that all the things of the ceremonial law were just a shadow of what was to come. We know the shadow is not real, but it gives us an outline or a picture of, of something that it's shadowing. And that shadow was Christ. The, or the shadow was the ceremonial law, but it came from Christ. It showed us what Christ was going to do for us that would last for eternity, to pay for our sins on the cross, to help us to be declared right in God's eyes. If you've been reading Romans 3, 5, 3, 4, 5, 6, we know that the law cannot declare us right. It, it can, 
It's like we can seek forgiveness from God by following the law, the ceremonial law, but it will never make us holy in God's eyes. That's why we need Christ. We cannot be declared right in God's eyes through the law. That's why Christ died on the cross. We are justified by his work for us. We can't do things in order to appease God. That's the point. And so now, as we go into this text, this is what God is talking about. When we talk about this in verses 1 through 6 this morning, when we talk about the law, this is the law that he's talking about. Because in the context we've all been talking about, we can only be declared right in God's eyes. There's a third law, by the way. It's called the civil law. So we have the moral law. That's how we deal with one another. That's how it's all the one another's. It's all those things. We have the ceremonial law. That's how we deal in relationship to God. And then we have civil law. God, in the Old Testament, gave all these rules. This is how you deal with society. This is the society law. This is the law of, uh, that deals with government, that deals with society, dealing with how we deal with poor, how we deal with all these things. All of these things have been brought into a lot of the way we deal with governmental things even today in America. Then some of them are lacking. If we look at the, 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 the old law in the Old Testament, this, this civil law, we see that even sometimes in America, we're lacking in what God said for us to do. This is the function, how we function with society. So one aspect of the law is how we deal with one another. The other is how we deal with God. Then, the third aspect of the law that God gave is how we deal with, in a government aspect, and how we deal as a society aspect. Think Romans chapter 13. Or when Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Right? That he's saying is, is like, if the law says you pay the tax, pay the tax. And then he says, what I demand... Give to God what belongs to God. And he, de he demands worship of his glory. So that's what we're talking about. When we think of the law here, there's those three aspects. And we got to look and see which one he is talking about. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So how do we respond to the law? Well, there are two ways that most people respond to the law. There's the legalist, right? Now, there are many types of legalists. There's not just, you know, it's like saying, you know, what church do you, you know, which denomination do you go to? Almost all denomination lines don't really mean anything anymore. It just really matters what, what the pastor preaches and teaches, whether they follow God's word, don't follow God's word, whether there's all these different aspects, right? So denominations don't mean the same thing that they once did. But the legalist is the same way. There are those that, Keep the law in order to be saved. The legalist says, I have to follow the Old Testament law. I have to do the ceremonial stuff. In order to be saved, I have to do that. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, where the Judaizers were saying, hey, I know that Christ is good. You need to follow Christ, but you have to do all of these ceremonial law. If you don't, then you're really not saved. There are some legalists that do that. There are other legalists that believe you have to keep the ceremonial law in order to be sanctified. What that means 
is, is that if you don't keep the ceremonial law, you won't continue to grow closer to God. You have to keep the ceremonial law to be able to approach God, to appease God. Otherwise, he's not going to be happy with you. You ever heard, well, I did all my devotions today and I know God's happy with me, right? That can be legalistic. I've shared that testimony of someone that he's ne- that's now a missionary that used to do that. And they would focus so much on what they did, but they didn't have a love for people, right? They, were trying to, they thought they were trying to appease God and make God happy, right? So there's those that do that. There are other people, there are other legalists who add more commandments to the law, right? We see that the Jews are really good at that. There's uh, the Talmud, which they have now 12,000 plus laws based on the Ten Commandments, right? They kept expanding and adding more laws, right? And, and they were like, yeah, you, can't, you can only walk this many steps on the Sabbath, or you, you, you have to tithe this much of your your, you know, grains of seasoning, right? You, you, they did all of these, they added so much to the law, but they forgot why the law really existed. So that's a legalist. They add things to the law. They come up with their own traditions and preferences to where the law and the traditions outrank God. That's a legalist. But there's another side to the coin. There are those that say, well, I'm not going to be a legalist and they, they actually say, well, I'm going to be against the law. That's antinomianism, against law. We call those free will license people. They have a license to do whatever they feel like. Feeling and emotions and what you want and desire takes over, and you don't have to do anything according to the law. It means a, a person is against God's law, he is on the other side, you know, he's different than the legalists, and he is against any law, even God's moral law. He doesn't have to follow anything. God saved him, I don't have to do anything, I can just live my life however I desire. So go back to our text. That's what Paul is trying to teach us. There's a balance of what God desires in our new life. When we are in Christ, living in this new kingdom that God has put us in with Christ as our representative, as God as our Lord and Master, as our Savior, how do we now live with this law that God has given? And in our text, he's dealing specifically with how we were declared right and we no longer deal with the ceremonial law. We're no longer held captive by that law. In verse 1, Paul makes a general statement about law's jurisdiction in ruling over a person as long as he lives. When we're alive, we are held accountable to God's ceremonial law. But then he illustrates what our life in Christ looks like in verses 2 through 3. Remember, this is just, when he talks about marriage in this text, he's giving an illustration. He's not teaching us about marriage. Don't jump to conclusions and try to make this passage more than what it is, and it is an illustration. Verse 2 and 3 illustrates the point, showing that a woman is bound to her husband under the law as married, and she shouldn't go out and live with another man because that would be adultery. 
right? So as long as he's alive, she's under the law of marriage bound to her husband. But if her husband dies, then she can be free to marry, right? So she's no longer held by the marriage law. It's it's a great analogy. It's making this point that the law has jurisdiction over us while we're living, but it doesn't have jurisdiction over the dead. If a person dies, he's no longer under the law. Paul's showing this in this illustration that that no longer that when a husband dies and the wife is no longer held by that marriage law. Death has taken place, and now, just as the wife is now free to join another, we now can be joined to someone else. We are joined to Christ that we might bear fruit for God. That's the point. We're now di- we've died with Christ, so that way we can be joined to Christ. Before, when we were alive, before we turned our life to Christ, we were in sin and we were held accountable by the law to God. We were earning death. The law showed us to be sinners and showed us that we earned death. But then when we died, we're no longer held accountable to the law. So now we can be joined to Christ and being married to Christ, we have a new Life with him. Verse 4, he applies this point of this illustration. He applies a point showing that we died to the law through the death of Christ. And we are now remarried to Christ so that we we might bear fruit. He continues to explain in verses 5 and 6. First, he gives us the negative. We need to die to the law because it aroused our sinful passions. It, you know, it's like this. When you tell a kid, don't do something, what do they naturally want to do? Paul is proving that point right here. He's saying the law showed us how we needed to live perfect in God's eyes, but every time he gave us the law, what did we do? We rebelled against the law and proved to be a sinner. God said, don't do this. What did we naturally do? Do this. Our flesh is naturally in rebellion to God. That's the negative in verse 5. But in verse 6, he says, In Christ we've been released from the bondage of the law so we can serve God in the newness of the Spirit. Verses 1 through 6 can be summed up this, this way. I went too far. It can be summed up this way. Through our union with Christ, we have died to the law so that we are free to bear fruit for God in the Spirit. Now, I've given you basically what this text and the point of this text. I want to share with you two really strong implications and help us to understand. So what, what does this mean for us? How does this apply to our new life? As we walk in our life with God, as we spend time with God, how does this affect our life? Well, verse one, or point one, we have died to the law 
which only produces sin and death. In the text, the law basically, we rebelled against the law and it produced more sin. It showed us to be sinners and it always led to death. It was like we, we lived in the fields of decaying death instead of living in the fields of, of a great vineyard producing great amount of fruit. I know our kids, they don't always like it, but we go pick up grounders, you know, the apples. Always looking for a way to sweeten our pig meat, right? Got to go find those apples. But one of the worst things is towards the end of the season, there are more decaying things on the ground than there are really apples. But we pick it up anyway. It it helps the, 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 the different apple farmers. The more that the apples stay on the ground, the more they decay. The more that they decay, they bring a bunch of bugs that attack the trees. Not only do they bring all the bugs, but guess what else comes? The the voles, the mice, the rats. And they eat the trees. So the more that that decay is gone, the more fruit is produced. And the point that we learn here is that we've died because we have been buried with Christ. We've died with Christ. We've we've been united with Christ. And because he lived perfect and fulfilled all the law, and then he died for us, being perfect, he paid for our sins and rose again, conquering death and doing what we could never do and live perfectly according to the law. I want to remind us that what this means is this does not mean that we are free from specific moral commands. We don't go like, well, the Bible says do this, but I don't have to because I'm no longer under the law. That's not what this is saying. We need to understand that we did not die to the law so that we could live lawlessly doing whatever we please. That was the false charge. By the way, if you read and learn about Paul, there are a lot of the Judaizers were claiming Paul to be lawless and preaching that no one has to live rightly. They can do whatever they please. But that's not what Paul is saying. And so, but when Christ died to the law, it was not so that we, we could be free spirits. Rather, it was so we can now be joined with Christ who is our husband. Paul's illustration here doesn't try to make it say more than what it is. He's not teaching about marriage, but he's teaching about our union with Christ. Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. He's talking about God's commands. The Bible is filled with tons of commands how God wants us to live in relation to him. Romans chapter 2, for example, verse 14, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law because it's been written on our hearts. The moral law, the moral commands that's based on who God is is written on our hearts to know that we are not walking rightly. Paul states later in Romans 8.4, the requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us as we walk 
according to the Spirit. This leads us to another thought, and that is this, is that we are free from the demands of the law as a system for approaching God. That's the point here that Paul is trying to make. As those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been released from this ceremonial law in order to approach God. They are no longer under the jurisdiction of the law in order to be justified by God. We've been declared right by the work of Christ, though we're no longer under that law. We're no longer, Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, he says, we're no longer under that passport, right? When we come into a land, I love, when I was in college, I loved uh, going through and I loved seeing how many countries I could get on my passport, right? I loved it. I was like, another stamp, that was great. I even, it was like, even if I just flew into the country, I just, I couldn't wait to go through the, the line to get another stamp. But I would present it, and they would ask me for my passport because they wanted to know under what country, under what authority and what country I was traveling. Right? My passport says I was under the citizenship of America. Here, we have a new citizenship. We're under a new authority. We're no longer under the law system, that's not how, we're not, that's not our passport to approach God. That ceremonial system is now, we have a new citizenship, we have a new passport, and it's a passport that belongs to Christ. And it would be a passport that would be stained blood with red, and it would say Jesus Christ. When we, when we approach God, he says, what authority do you come into my presence? We say under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are free from the demands of the law as a system for approaching God. We are now declared right and justified by Christ. So dying to the law means that we do not approach God by an impersonal ceremonial system of performance where we try to earn the right to stand with him. We don't come to church to earn a right to stand in the presence of God. We don't read the Bible to earn the right to stand in the presence of God. We don't pray, you know, 20 hours a day. You know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, right? Being cynical here. So that way we can earn the right. Christ dying on the cross for our sins has earned our right to be in the presence of God. So now we are free from the condemnation of the law. We are free. We are, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. That's a great verse. We're not condemned. The law condemns, which leads to death. But Christ is our life. The forgiveness of our sins is found in Christ. Paul says in verse 6 of our text that the law held us in bondage. It did so by putting us under the curse because of our failure to obey it perfectly. That's found in Galatians 3.10. Peter refers to it, to the law as a yoke, which neither our fathers nor our 
nor we have been able to bear in Acts 15. Romans 5, 20 through 21 literally says the law increased our transgressions and held us under the reign of sin and death. But now we are free from that condemnation. That's what these verses is talking about. In In this context, being in the flesh means before we were saved, before we received the Holy Spirit. Before we were under the law and condemned. But now as believers, we're no longer, we are dead to the law because of the work of Christ, because we've been raised with Christ. We're now unified with Christ. We're married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And we have a new way to live without condemnation. Paul's going to continue to go in this into verse 7 through 11. We'll look next week. Or no, not next week, but in two weeks. So the law is not the answer for our sin problem. Fulfilling the ceremonial law will never take care of our sin problem. If today you're trying to live and produce things in your life to to appease God or to please God, you say, well, I'm going to do all of these things and that'll make my life better and deal with my sin. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. We are incapable of producing obedience through the law. We don't obey God by following the law. The law actually proves us to be rebellious. It's the opposite of of obedience. That's what Paul's point. Before the law, we were incapable of being obedient. But now look at the other implication. Jesus Christ delivered us from the law, which produces spiritual fruit for God. As I said, God does not free us from his law, his moral law, so that way he didn't free us from the ceremonial law so we can live any way we please and and live against his moral law because he wants us to grow more and more like him. Rather, he frees us from the law so that way we can be joined with another and that another We love, and it produces fruit in our life. This is a transforming relationship. When we're united with Christ, it's transformed us. In verse 6, Paul uses the same contracts that we saw in chapter 6, verse 22. He says, but now. It points to the great changed from before we met Christ to afterwards. Before we met him, we were in the flesh. But now we've been released from the law and have died to that by which we were bound. My death released me from the power of the law and it changed everything. That's what it means when we say, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you died to yourself and have you joined and presented yourself to Christ? Are you alive in Christ? Or are you still living for yourself? Also, our death in the law freed us to be joined in marriage to the risen Christ. This implies that we now have a new life in him because Jesus doesn't marry a corpse. I want you to think about that. Jesus rose from the dead so he could conquer the sting of death. And he could raise us with him to a new life. Behold, we are a new creation in 
Christ. We've been submerged into the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There's one thing certain about marriage, right? It will change you forever. Suddenly, you're not your own. Think about that. What once was mine is now ours. You know, the first five years of marriage, you struggle with that. Yeah, I need to go get my money. Oh, I mean our money. (laughs) Do you have my checkbook? I mean our checkbook. (laughs) I didn't even know what a checkbook was when we got married. But that's beside the point. (laughs) Now, I think I write more checks now than what we did when we got married. But here's the thing. It changes everything. You have to think about your spouse. Let me go check with my husband. Let me go check with my wife. Because marriage impacts both. I want you to think about that. Marriage impacts both. In this illustration of how we relate to the law, the marriage that we now have in Christ impacts us. Christ impacts us. It's a loving relationship, isn't it? What Christ did for us in Ephesians chapter 5, we always talk about this in the roles of marriage and what marriage is all about. In Ephesians 5.25, says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So now we willingly submit to him, not out of duty, but out of love. I want you to picture this. The idea that Paul is giving us here is, picture a woman who is married to a very overly demanding perfectionist man. A slave-driving husband who, who demands perfection. By the way, did you know in the Old Testament that the Israelites, uh, not in the Old Testament, but during that time, that the Israelites made it to where if a, if a wife burnt the meal, he could divorce her? That's how crazy the Israelites went with the law. They looked for any way to make a law to get out of the law. Does that sound familiar? Making laws to get out of the laws, right? But picture this woman that's married to a very demanding, very perfectionate man. She lives in constant fear that she will not please him. Every single thing that she does is scrutinized to the very minuscule. You know, the guy puts on gloves and, oh, there's dust there. You didn't clean well enough today, right? That's not true on our farm. (laughs) We can't get away from dust and dirt. It's just impossible. We try. But now, but then, think about this. Much to her relief, he dies. Think about it. Every day is like prison. I don't know if I'm going to please him enough. I don't know if I'm going to do anything right. I don't know if I'm able to do anything right. Because he's so demanding. But then, he dies. Think about the relief. I think a week off from cleaning. Right? But sometime later, after he dies, she meets a loving, kind, and caring man. She's cautious. She's a little fearful. 
because of her past marriage. But this man is so loving, so kind, so caring, she falls in love and gets married. Now, now she still is cleaning, doing things for her husband, cooking meals, but she does it joyfully out of love. There's no duty. There's no demands to be met. There's no impossible tyrant. There's just love. The analogy breaks down in what God has done for us with the law. The law is so demanding. It's a perfectionist thing. You have to be perfect under the law. The law is so demanding in our life. It's burdensome. But when we die and are raised with Christ, the law is dead. And now we have a very loving, sacrificial husband in Christ. We no longer have to strive in vain to meet impossible demands as the the grounds of our life have been accepted through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Christ has met those demands for us. We are joined with him in love. We still live to please him, but our whole motive has changed from duty and demand to love that accepts us. You see, this is a liberating relationship. We've been liberated from that demand of the law to the loving relationship with Christ, to that marriage with Christ. Before we were bound to the law, but now, through our death, we've been released from the condemnation and dominion of the law. This is a picture of a prisoner being let free. We're no longer captive. They are released from their striving to keep the law in order to gain acceptance with God. This helps us to understand what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The law just burdens you and lays this heavy burden on your shoulders. Jesus says, Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Christ has done for us and as we live this new life, this is what God is talking about. When we are united to Christ, it allows us to produce fruit because we're no longer under this demand and pressure of the law. And it makes us, it becomes a fruitful relationship. The reason we are joined to Christ is so that we we might bear fruit in verse 4 of chapter 7. When you compare it to verse 6, you look at verse 4 and verse 6, it says, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, 
It's probably referring to the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 9 through 10, it says, All goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. When we're married to Christ, He affects us. He causes us to want to produce fruit, to be fruitful. Before, we had no desire to produce fruit. We couldn't because the law just produced fruit death, which makes this a powerful relationship. This marriage to Christ is so powerful. The law was important to have. The law was impotent. It was unable to help us to be obedient. But Christ gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to empower us, to help us to overcome sin. To be under the law is to be in the flesh, to be unfruitful, which has no motivation, no power to overcome sin. We have no ability to obey. It's impossible. But when we're married to Christ, that loving relationship, that liberating relationship, where we, it's powerful. The Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, the sin, so that we will live. That we'll really live. That's what it means when Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Come to be your partner, your, to, be, to do the things that you can't do, so that way you can enjoy life. Now, that's not our goal is to enjoy life. Our goal is to glorify God. But in doing that, we get to be out from under the pressure of the law and to be united with Christ in this loving and powerful relationship, which is holy. I mention this again because this is the point. Paul is not telling us that we are free from the moral law. doesn't mean that we are free to disobey all of God's commands. But I mention this as we finish that that's because it's often misunderstood and ignored. But if we look at verse 6, he uses again the word serve or bondservant. It's, it's again, it's to be enslaved to God. It's, the, it's basically the same thing when it says in verse, verse 6 here is dealing with, it says, but now we have been released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way. Again, that word serve there means to be, to be a slave to God. So Christ frees us from the law so that we are not bound to the law and we do not please him, but we are freed from the law so we can be enslaved to God in the newness of the spirit, being a slave of righteousness that brings about true freedom. Martin Lloyd-Jones in page 84 <laughs> on book, I think this is like book four, he says this on Romans. He says, you are either a Christian or not a Christian. There's no partial Christians. It's either one or the other. 
You are neither you are either dead or alive. You are either born or not born. Becoming a Christian is not a gradual process. There is nothing indeterminate about it. We either are or not a Christian. Here's the point of not being bound to the law anymore. We should serve God with a new dynamic spirit. God prophesied this in Ecclesiastes, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 through 28. Listen to this. This is the beauty about being a slave to, to serve God in this new, dynamic, powerful spirit. Verse 26 in Ezekiel prophesying about what it means to be a believer in Christ, to be born again, to be married to Christ, to have to be free from the law and alive to Christ. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Now get this. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who gives us the power to obey? Christ does. Our life with Christ. If your life isn't bound to Christ, if you haven't died to yourself and and given your life to Christ, and you submitted to him. If you're not saved, if you haven't been born again, the Bible says born again, simply, you know, you, you live your life in the flesh, but now, now it's not about your life, but you die to yourself, and, and you're reborn in this life with Christ, your new creation in Christ. You're not going to be able to obey God. It's just impossible. He says, and I will cause you to walk. I will cause you. He's going to give you a new desire. You're going to want to change. You're going to be struggle. I've been discipling this one guy for now for a couple of years. And he's like, you know, why does this bother me? It never bothered me before. It's like people talk about these things and it just bothers me. It's just not right. I'm like, that's because you're truly saved. You have a new desire. You have a new, you're married to to a new partner. The law is gone and Christ is now your partner, your relationship. You're married, you're united to Christ. Verse 28 of Ezekiel 36 says this, you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. We should not serve God in the old letter of law. You've ever, you know, you've heard of follow the letter of the law versus follow the spirit of the law. We're no longer married to the taskmaster, to the perfectionist. We're no longer married to that law. We're not, we're no longer under that burden. Don't follow the old letter of the law. Don't try to perform to gain 
joy from God? It's never going to happen. Don't try to do some performance to appease God and, and to, to, to try to take away the wrath of God to be good. It's just going to produce more laws. If, you've, if you haven't died to yourself and been born into this new relationship with Christ, you're under the condemnation of the law. But if you put your trust for your life in Christ, who bore the curse of the law, you are released from the law and you're joined to a loving husband so that way you can bear fruit for God. That's better than any marriage that we've ever seen on earth. You know why? Because Christ is the one doing all the pulling in the marriage. Remember when I said that when you, it's impossible when you become married, it's, it affects you for the rest of your life. The beautiful thing is we have Christ who now is the power in our relationship. That's why we want to do the right thing. It's not because of the law, because of Christ. Ask yourself, am I doing things to appease God? Am I doing things because I love God? What kind of relationship do you have with him? It's always good to know. Sometimes we fall back into that pressure of, I just got to do a lot of good things. Enjoy your relationship with God. Remember when in chapter 5, it says, remember the facts about what Christ did for you. We need to remember what he did because it impacts how we live in that relationship. When we forget what Christ did, we tend to be drawn to a life of sin. And we go back and we, to the consequences of the law. Don't do that. Maybe you've struggled and you say, I've never been able to live. I've never desired to do the right things. Give your life to Christ. And you'll want to do the right things. He'll empower you. That's the point that Paul is making for us. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what it means. It's, it's complexity. Thank you for the illustration of marriage and how it really gives us a great picture of our life with Christ. It helps us to understand in the, in the different texts through the New Testament where it calls us the bride of Christ. One day, we are going to be presented to our Lord and Savior as his bride. Lord, it puts a greater perspective because it tells us that it gives the responsibility to pastors, to elders, to the overseers, how we present the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, to Christ. Lord, it also gives us the perspective, Lord, it, it kind of pricks our hearts and it pricks my heart and how we treat one another. Because 
We are the, your bride. And so, Lord, you look on us with longing affection to make this union full of rest and fruit and growth to become more like you, to follow you, to walk in your ways. So, Lord, I pray that that would impact how we view our life in the body of Christ, in our church, in our community, in our marriages, as we think about our relationship with you. May we just be in awe of what you've done for us in taking away this condemnation and demands of the law that we might be unified with our risen Lord and Savior and stand in your presence as our Father. Lord, I pray that that would be on our minds every day as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.